When I was in elementary school, I, I distinctly remember a science experiment that we did. Um, I remember it because it was at first disappointing and then very cool. And when the teacher told, I can't remember what grade I was in, and, but elementary schoolish age. The teacher told us we were going to do a science experiment, and I was excited, and the science experiment amounted to putting lima beans in a closet, and then it was done, and we moved on to do something else. And I'm like, oh, okay. But the point of the experiments, we were learning about plant life. I don't know if we were really learning about photosynthesis at that point or not, but the basics of this, right? Plants need light to grow, to live. They use light to create energy. And so what happens if you put these lima beans in the closet and you just have the door cracked? Well, after a week, maybe two, I, I can't quite remember, the teacher reminded us of this little experiment that we'd done. And she opened up the door to show us that the beans had grown just all up the back of the closet door so that they could just peek over the edge to get to the light that was coming through the crack. And I remember all of us were like, <sighs> because it was this kind of creepy, like pale stalks all covering the back of the door. Um, it was quite affecting. I remember it very vividly. It might, I might be remembering it more vividly than it actually was. Um, I tried to Google some images of this. I couldn't find a good one. But it really impressed on me that plants are alive, right? They, 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 ha they, have, they have needs and, and that they get their energy um, from the sun and light is essential to them and they will grow in a direction um, to get at it because they have to. It gives them life. And as we think about the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, as we will be this morning and we will be for the next few weeks. Jamie uh, got us started on this last week. This morning, we're thinking about Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. And that, that image of, of the essentialness of light, that not only do plants need it to live, but they will grow, like, grow up the back of a door, stretch themselves pale and thin just to peek at it, that is the kind of desperate need that the world finds itself in. And that is the need that Jesus is trying to address when he says this about himself. And we will explore what that means as we talk through John chapter 8. Before we talk about this morning's passage, I just want to ask you, um, as we're in the Gospel of John right now for a few weeks, we're not doing the entire thing, but it'll, it'll, it's a good bit of it. Um, what are you, you going to read tomorrow? Like, tomorrow... When you go to read your Bible, what are you going to read? Are you just going to kind of open it up? Maybe you've been following a plan. Maybe you're on one of the year-long plans or you're going through a devotion. Um, so you know, like, actually, tomorrow I'm in Exodus chapter 9. And uh, yesterday, I read, you know. If so, awesome. Stick with your plan. Keep your commitment. But if you don't know, like, if you're like, I don't know what part of the Bible I'm going to read tomorrow, I will answer the question for you. You'll read John chapter 1 tomorrow. As we're, as we're going through this, it, it will be immensely beneficial to you to be reading in the Gospel of John um, and to be hearing from God's Word as we explore these specific parts of it. I, I made a, a reading plan. I actually made this, I think it was just before COVID, which is why I forgot about it. Um, I made a little plan 
to go through and read the Gospel of John in, in, um, along with uh, portions of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the, the longest psalm in the Bible. And so I printed these out. They're on the table there. So if you'd like to have a little plan for the next 30-ish days, and you could just do the weekdays, or you could do every day, do it however you want. The pace is simple. It's a chapter a day and a very short section from a psalm. And that'll get you, that'll, that'll get you through. That'll really... Um, be beneficial to you as we're preaching through this, and it will just give you a plan so that you know what you're reading uh, and when you're reading it. I'd encourage you to give that a shot. But again, if you're following your own plan, if you already know what you're doing, stick with that. You may have noticed on your way in, I put out a book with this illustrated outline of the Gospel of John. Maybe you had a chance to look at it for a moment. I'm holding it up here. You can't see a thing. We're going to put it up on the screen. Yeah, you can't probably really see much of that either, but this is from the Bible Project, and if you've been around here, um, you've certainly seen Bible Project videos and had us reference them in the past. Um, they just do such an awesome job of illustrating um, some of the key themes and details in the Bible, and especially here, this illustrated outline of the Gospel of John uh, just beautifully lays out all of the themes. John is one of the most explicitly thematic books in the Bible. He is very, very heavy-handed. He wants you to know what he's talking about. He uses very clear word pictures to accomplish that. And so this really illustrates that well. So you move on to the next one here. You can zoom in on part of it. There we go. There we go. So like in the upper section, I'll show you that Jesus' seven I am statements, reminding you that these are God, you, in, Jesus invoking God's covenant name, as Jamie explained to us last week, some references to where that is. Um, show me on the next slide. And then here, in one section, this is the section where we're going to be for a little while, it's te- they're telling us that in chapters 5 through 10 of the Gospel of John, as Jesus is preaching and teaching and interacting with people, the events that John is describing are happening in concert with some specific holidays and festivals within the Jewish year, the Sabbath, Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles or of Booths, and Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. And so, I cut out a section. I'd encourage you, if you want to watch their video, it's, it's two parts, total 16 minutes long. It's pretty, it's pretty thorough. It's great. I cut out a couple minutes of that that's relevant to what we're talking about this morning, and so we're going to watch that together, give us some more context and a framework um, for what our passage is doing this morning. So I think that's the next one. Let's see. Got to hit the sound. There we go. place during four After this John has designed another collection of stories that took place during four Jewish sacred days or feasts and again Jesus uses the images related to the feasts to make claims about himself 
So Jesus first heals a paralyzed man on the Sabbath, which starts a controversy with the Jewish leaders about working on the day of rest. And Jesus says it's his father who's working on the Sabbath, and so is he. And they catch his meaning, that he was calling God his father, making himself equal with God, and so they want to kill him. The next story takes place during Passover, the feast that retold the Exodus story with the symbolic meal of the lamb and bread and wine. And Jesus miraculously provides food for a crowd of thousands, which results in people asking him for more bread. And then Jesus goes on to claim that he is the true bread, and if they eat him, they will discover eternal life. And this offends many people who stop following him. After this is a block of stories set in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, which retold the story of Israel's wilderness wanderings as God guided them with the pillar of cloud and fire and provided them water in the desert. And Jesus gets up in the temple courts and he shouts, If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And then later he says, I am the light of the world. He's claiming to be the illuminating presence of God and the life-saving gift of God to his people. And some people believe and follow him, but others are offended and still others try to kill him for these exalted claims. The final feast story is during Hanukkah, which means rededication. It's about how Judah Maccabee cleared the temple of idols and set it apart as holy once more. And Jesus goes into the temple area and says that he is the one whom God has set apart as the Holy One, and that he is the true temple where God's presence dwells. And he also says, I and the Father are one. This makes the Jerusalem leaders so angry, they set in motion a plan to kill Jesus, and so he retreats from the city. There you go. Thanks for bearing with us on that sound. I appreciate being able to to get the context of this, and we, you know, they talked about a couple passages that you know, we won't be exploring in this series, but it's, it's helpful to see that as we move. Why don't you guys throw up the, the, for the one uh, two slides ago? One more, and this one. Yes. So in each of these events, Jesus is making claims about himself. And his claims escalate in significance and also escalate in their outrageous response. That the people who hear him, again, some do believe and follow him, but many, and including those who have authority and power in society, the religious leaders are very frustrated to the point that they are planning to kill him over these things. And so it's, it's good to put this into that context, not just of what's happened before, but of what's coming. And so... As we think about what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 8, it's helpful to know that this is taking place during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Um, let me throw up the one. Let's move to the next. There we go. During this, during this feast, during this, this festival, um, people would often uh, build a, a booth. It was, it was a way of remembering that in the wilderness, not only were they freed, but they were also guided and provided for, um, that God led them, and that God not only led them, but he lived with them in a tabernacle. The tabernacle was a mobile temple, right? They could take it down, move with it, and build it again. And God, in his graciousness to his people, was teaching them about his character by living in a tent with them, by moving with them. And when he led them, he led them as a cloud of smoke during the day, but as a pillar of flame 
at night. And so the idea of light is certainly present in the celebration of Hanukkah, but light is also a big part of this festival and would have been a big part of what was going on in the temple when Jesus was there in this passage. And so I'll explain more about that in just a moment. Let's go now to John chapter 8 and read this passage together. We're in John chapter 8. We're going to read verses 12 through 20. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid, even though I make them about myself, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect, because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness. My Father who sent me is the other. Where is your Father, they asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my Father is. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. And now we, we know that this passage is taking place during, during this festival because, again, it says Jesus spoke to the people once more, and they're calling back to what was happening in chapter 7, which does talk about this particular festival. So we don't know what time of day it was, if it was the evening or during the day, but you have to imagine this. He's in the t- part of the temple known as the treasury. So this would have been the main area of the temple where any... Uh, any Jewish person is allowed to be. Uh, different parts of the temple were sectioned off for different, uh, for different groups of people. Um, and in this section, everyone would be either, this is where um, you, know, you, you would have had the opportunity to buy an animal if you were going to make a sacrifice. Um, so when Jesus cleanses the temple in other passages of the Bible, this is the area where that's happening. There's a big open area in a beautiful, ornate building with many, many people doing business, and also they're both there to do business and there to worship. And many now there who to hear from Jesus, who has been doing this regularly, going to the temple and teaching. And so Jesus teaching on this particular day, there may well, there were, were very likely, there would have either been some sort of candelabras, somewhat similar to what you might know as a menorah, or large basins, large, um, almost like fire pits, uh, basins of fire, and they would have been arranged in the temple to, to add decoration and to celebrate this particular feast. And so the temple would have been lit and lit up in a unique way. And perhaps, again, we don't know if it's during the day or the evening. We don't, it doesn't really set the scene for us. But Jesus is in this context, and he's saying, I am the light of the world. And you can see why this might be frustrating to the very righteous and very religiously observant Pharisees. Because here's Jesus fully aware of the festival, fully aware of the day, aware of where he is in the temple, and he's saying, all of this is about me. It's a very, very bold statement. 
you know, we don't really have, I'm trying to, I've been trying to think of this, uh, really, we as a country, maybe we have buildings like this. If you went to, the, if you went to Washington, D.C. in the Capitol, we really do quite a, quite a, quite a bit of uh, ornate building there, and especially if you were at potentially a, uh, a military memorial service at one of those events, it would be a very somber occasion, and what people, you know, what, what, you, what you should and shouldn't do would be very clear. And if you were to take that opportunity to make this event about yourself, the vast majority of the people there would be very upset with you. This is not about you. Don't you know where we are? Don't you know what this is about? Like, who are you to do this? Get, get out of here. This is, of course, not the first time that Jesus has done this. So some people are, are used to this. Uh, the Pharisees never get used to it, and they're very, very upset. But Jesus is doing more than just making a bold statement. Hey, this is about me. There's a lot of theo- theological significance in what Jesus is saying. Uh, some of that is lost on the people, but um, it's, it doesn't have to be lost on us. So when Jesus says he is the light of the world, he is invoking a theme that is prevalent in all of Scripture, but especially, especially prevalent in the Gospel of John itself. John is very concerned for his reader that they understand this about Jesus. John says that he, he wrote his Gospel so that you would come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. And so one of the metaphors and one of the images that he uses to make that point over and over again is that of light. And so in the, in the beginning of John's gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, he says, in the, beginning was, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Psalm 119, verse 105, says that your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. John is, is saying... Jesus is the Word of God. He is God. He is also God's promise to us, the fulfillment of what God has been doing throughout the history of his people. So when Jesus stands up and says, this is about me, he means that that as as good news, God who led us with light through the wilderness is going to lead us with light through the darkness that pervades our entire world. And they said that quickly in, in the video, Jesus is, is saying that he is God's illuminating presence. So Jesus is not just saying that he's God here. He's saying that he is the Messiah, the promised one, the one who is going to fulfill God's promises and bring in a new creation, a new age. We'll talk more about light and darkness in just a moment. Let's, let's talk about verses uh, 13 and 19 here. 
The Pharisees are frustrated with what Jesus is saying, and we'll, we'll talk about the, the more of the theology of that in just a moment. And they have this little back and forth where the Pharisees tell Jesus, look, you know, you, you can't speak for yourself. And Jesus says, yes, I can. And I think Jesus' argument here is pretty easy to follow. It's less of a one that doesn't make sense. It's more of one that you just either believe or you don't. Jesus is saying, I and God himself, my Father, we both testify, and the testimony of two witnesses is acceptable. But what Jesus says here is also something that, that, we, that we get tripped up on. In verse 15, he says, You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect, because I am not alone. He goes on to justify himself, talking about the two witnesses with him and his father. But what does it mean for Jesus to not judge anyone? I think this is, this is a big thing in, in our society right now, judging others. Christians are judgmental. Um, other people are judgmental. How, what, is, what is judging someone? What is evaluating someone? Is that what Jesus is talking about here? This is what Jesus means. This is what Jesus means. Jesus does not judge anyone, but as the light of the world, Jesus illuminates and reveals the truth about everyone. Jesus does not need to tell you and judge you and point out and shame you over your sin or what you've done wrong. Jesus, as the light of the world, passively even, reveals that. And it's true. He says, if I did judge you, my judgment would be correct. Right? I'm judging myself, saying this. I can speak with authority. I don't have to. Your condition is self-evident. Famously, John, John 3.16, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would have eternal life. Um, and he goes on to say, like, Jesus didn't come in to judge anyone, but, but to save them. But, that's, but that revealing of sin, you can say, you know, it, it, it may not technically be judgment, it's, it's going to feel like judgment. So let's, let's look back at that. This contrast between light and darkness that Jesus has made, and that John will make a lot in his gospel and in his epistles as well. Light reveals things, and darkness covers them. It'd be a little bit too simplistic to say darkness is just sin, and light is righteousness, and that's the duality. It, John isn't really saying that darkness is just sin. It's, it's more than that. Darkness in the world is the effects of sin. As we, you know, we read earlier, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And that's what Jesus says, you know, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness, right? Again, the self-evident condition, I don't have to judge you, I'm just revealing what is already true, what is self-evident. We walk in darkness, we live in darkness, and John will, would say as well, I didn't quote this earlier, that we loved the darkness, Darkness, sin, its effects. We can talk about sin both as a corporate thing. All of humanity has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God has 
condemned and cursed the ground, as he says in Genesis 1, because of that. So all of us live in the consequence of that, whether when we experience sickness or natural disaster or any of these things, those aren't necessarily the result of our personal individual sin. If I, I, I was actually very, very sick earlier this week. Um, did I get that stomach virus because of a specific sin that I did? What, what sin did I do that made me sick? That's, that's not how that works. And there's actually, John, Jesus himself explains that in the Gospel of John. That's another passage, though, for another time. No, I, I became sick because we live in a fallen and broken world. And these things happen. They're not necessarily deserved or undeserved. We live and dwell in darkness. But sin is not sin, and, and the effects of sin are also personal. So yes, we, we do suffer because of the general sinfulness of all of humanity, but we ourselves commit sins against God, against ourselves, and against others. It's not enough to simply say, we live in the darkness and the darkness is out there. No, the, the darkness is in us. Our condition to Jesus is self-evident. We are walking in darkness. And then also, we suffer and experience darkness because of the personal sins of others. People who sin against us, who do us wrong. And all of these things come together to create a world that is broken and full of heartache and challenge. It's the world that Jesus has entered into. It's the world that he wants to enlighten, brighten, renew, and save. I am the light of a dark, desperate, hopeless world. I am the light of the world, and if you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And so what Jesus is saying is not only, it's not just that you're walking in darkness, you're walking towards death. The way in darkness does not lead to life, it leads to death. You are in darkness and you are trapped there. And so when we apply this, how does the light of Jesus affect our lives as believers and as Christians? Well, first, Jesus' light does dispel darkness. And so the effects of sin that we experience in our day-to-day lives, we, in faith and in prayer, can entrust those things to Jesus, trusting that he has power over them, that he can change and alter our circumstances. Again, this is what's been happening in this gospel. You remember, um, you know, when Jamie talked about Jesus being the bread of life last week, they showed us how Jesus had created, multiplied loaves and, and fishes, right? When we experience the darkness of our world, there's not enough food. Jesus brings light to that darkness. He can multiply food. He heals and heals again and again in the Gospels. When we experience the darkness of someone being born blind or being injured or suffering from a chronic medical condition, Jesus can bring light to that darkness and heal. But then light also reveals 
not just what is around us, but what is in us. John, in his epistle, in 1 John chapter 1, says this, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So Jesus says, I I don't judge anyone, but I do reveal the truth. I reveal the truth about you, and that includes your sinfulness. And so, it does say, you know, in other parts of the scripture, you know, there is no secrets. You know, there is, there is no uh, hiding who you are or what you've done from God. We can, we can keep secrets from one another. We can keep secrets till the day we die. So everything will be brought into the light. And so if you want to follow this light, the light that Jesus says, again, it's something you have to respond to. I'm the light of the world, and if you follow me, but in order to follow that, you have to, you have to be illuminated, right? You can't just, it's not that I'm going to stand in darkness and the path in front of me will be lit. No, the, the light that lights my path is going to light up me as well. So I have to be prepared to acknowledge and confess the truth about what that light reveals. It's confession as He says in in the epistle in 1 John, confession is how we, one of the the ways and one of the most important ways that we live out the truth that Jesus is the light of the world and that we believe that's a good thing, that we are willing and able to bring our sins and our darkness into his light despite the shame or or how uncomfortable that might be for us, that we are willing to acknowledge them and to bring them out, to give them to him. And he, he says, he is faithful, he is just. Those sins can be forgiven. The blood of Jesus can cleanse you. In, in, a, in, in another gospel, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a, a story to his disciples to illustrate what, what prayer and confession are like. And he talks about two people who go up into the temple to pray. And one is a Pharisee, and the other is a tax collector. And the Pharisee stands on his own, And he prays and he thanks God that he's not like other people, that he's not an extortioner, that he is not unjust, that he's not an adulterer, or that he's not like those tax collectors. He fasts twice a week. He gives tithes of everything that he has. But Jesus says the tax collector stands far away. He won't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beats his chest and he says, God Be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says that that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Confession does not need to be 
and prayer in general does not need to be flowery or, or lengthy or exhaustive. It needs to simply be enlightened, honest, truthful. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Your light has revealed that I am a sinner, and I won't deny it. I will, I will bring myself into that light despite the things that it reveals because it is the light that leads to life. And so the discipline of confession, not just, of person, not just private of you responding to God's word in prayer and acknowledging your sins to him, but, but the, the, the practice of confession where we share our confessions with one another is a powerful way to live out the truth that Jesus is the light of the world and that we believe that that is a good thing and that indeed it is the very source of our life. Right? John said, if we are living in the light, we have fellowship with each other because our sin doesn't just separate us from God, it separates us from one another. So that doesn't mean that next week I want each of you to come up here individually and confess a particular sin in front of the entire congregation. But it means if you ever feel convicted, whether it's in the moment after you know you've done something wrong, if it's during the worship service because of the sermon or because of something you've read, you should absolutely acknowledge that and confess that to God. But all the more, not because, not because it's required, right? I don't, you don't have to confess to me in order to be forgiven. You only have to confess to God. But because you love the community that you're a part of, whether that's, maybe that's just your immediate family, or maybe it is, yes, the corporate body of the entire church. Maybe it's simply your community group or someone who you're close to that you, that you trust or the person actually that you've wronged. Confessing to them, bringing yourself into the light in front of them is a powerful testimony to the fact that Jesus is the light of the world and that he is the source of your very life. And that because you believe that, you are willing to live in that light and to reveal yourself and also to have confidence that you will be forgiven, cleansed. The last thing that light does is it illuminates the way forward for us. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's word embodied in Jesus and preserved for us in the scriptures, guides us as we move through life. It would be foolish to, if you were driving at night, especially recently, it's been getting dark a lot earlier. Uh, you may have, I, I've been surprised by how early I've needed to turn on my headlights. You've got headlights in your car, you turn them on and you leave them on. You don't turn them on to see where you're going and then turn them off and turn them on again to make sure, am I on the, right, am I on the road still? You'd have to be a fool. Jesus says in, in his Sermon on the Mount, you, know, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, right? It's, it's silliness. Similarly, if Jesus is the light of the world and he's the source of your life and you receive that light and guidance and life by reading his word, then why would you do that every now and then when you feel like, oh, I, def- I desperately need this? You need it all the time. You're always driving at night. You have lights, Turn them on. Read God's word. Study it. Meditate on it. Pray it. Share it with one another. 
Don't turn it on when you think you need it. You always need it. And so Jesus is inviting us, inviting the entire world to follow him. I am the light of the world, and if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. As the light of the world, Jesus can dispel the darkness and suffering that we experience in our day-to-day life, that we can entrust him and ask for his intervention. He reveals who we are and the sinfulness that we carry. He also forgives and cleanses that. And he leads us forward into the life of life, into, the, into, the, into true humanity, into what God wanted for us from the beginning. We experience that now and we will live fully in that when we rise from the dead just as he did. Jesus is the light of the world and we can follow him by, by, by worshiping him, acknowledging that, by confessing our sins both to him and to one another and by consistently going back to him in prayer and in reading devotion and meditation, living in his word. If you don't know what you're reading tomorrow, read the gospel of John. Turn on your lights. Follow Jesus. Live in life. Follow the path that leads to life. Let's pray together. God, I pray that this morning you would reveal to us that we are a people who live in darkness. For some of us this morning, we are particularly, uh, particularly challenged by the circumstances of our life, by sickness, by injustice, by, 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 by things we, we simply can't control. So Lord, I, I ask that you would comfort and intervene in the, in, in the lives of those who need your mercy and your care. Some of us this morning, Lord, have not confessed our sins to you, nor to one another. Lord, I pray that you would convict us, that you would shine your light, as painful as it might be, on the things that we have kept hidden. Reveal them to us. Give us the humility to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then, Lord, pour out your mercy. And finally, Lord, lead us day by day. Help us to be faithful to you. And Lord, in our small acts of faithfulness, bless us with your unending, infinite goodness and faithfulness. Lord, as we, as we read and pray and study together, may you do amazing things through that. Lead us on the path that leads to life. Life that we, we don't even fully understand or imagine. Jesus, you are the light of the world. Help us to believe that, to know that, and to live in that. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.